0: Chapter nine of Insect Stories This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit Librivox.org. Recording by Michelle Chapter nine of Insect Stories by Vernon Kellogg A Clever Little Brown Ant We were sitting in the warm sun on the very tip top of Bungalow Hill this is a gentle crest that rises three hundred and fifty feet above the campus level and gives one a wonderful view far up and down the beautiful valley and across the blue bay to the lifting mountains of the coast range square-shouldered old mount diablo standing as a giant warder just inside the golden gate the ocean entrance to california looms massive and threatening directly to our east while to its south stretches a long brown range with its series of peaks Mission, Mount Hamilton, Isabella, and so on, way down to the twin pacheos, the guard over the pass into the desert. In the north rises Mount Tamalpais, the wonderful fog mountain that looks down on the busy life at its feet of San Francisco and its clustering child cities growing up rapidly these days. While the mother's lying ill of her wounds by earthquake and conflagration, to the south stretch the long orchard leagues of the Santa Clara Valley, with the little white spots of towns peeping out from the massed trees so jealous of every foot of fertile ground. And to the west, ah, that's where the view that Mary and I lie hours long to look at and drink in and feel, our view, we call it. We think we see things there that other people cannot. We see these things especially well when we have close our eyes and describe what we see in a sort of low, drowsy, monotone murmur. Then the fringe of towering, spiry redwoods along the crest of the mountain range that lies between us and the great ocean, and lifts its forested blanks full two thousand feet above us, becomes a long row of giant spears, sticking up above the battlements of a mighty castle. And the shadow-filled somber slashes, and tunnel-like holes of the dropping canyons, are the great entrances and doors to this castle. At our feet the broad, shallow cañada, that stretches all along the foot of the mountains, and was made ages ago by some tremendous earthquake seems, seen through our half-closed eyes, to be full of water, and to be a really broad moat shutting off all access to the castle. The giants themselves we have never yet seen, but some day when the light is just right, and they are stirring themselves to look out at the world, we probably shall. Perhaps if we had been up there that day not long ago, when the last earthquake came, we should have seen the giants looking out to see who was knocking at their gates for it will take an earthquake's knocking ever to be felt in the heart of that mountain castle where the giants keep themselves the air was so clear this day that it seemed as if we could see each individual great redwood each red-trunked glossy-leaved madrono, each thicket of crooked manzanita and purpling cianothis on the whole mountain side straight across through the clear blue-tinged atmosphere above the Kenyatta, to the shoulders and canyons the forest and clear spaces and chaparral of the mountain flanks we look and it rests our eyes that are so tired of reading it is good to be a stretch on some bathed bungalow hill this afternoon in october the rains will be coming in a few weeks and then we can't be out so much or at any rate we can't lie close to the warm brown dry earth as we can now but the rains will bring the fresh green grasses and the flowers if they come early enough the manzanitas will have their little trembling pink-white lily-of-the-valley bells by christmas day and the wild currants will be all green and rose-colour with little leaves and a myriad of fragrant blossoms but mary has found something she turned over a little flattish stone and under it was life living things disturbed in their work their play and their laying up of riches their care of their children little animate creatures revealed in all the intimacies of their housekeeping and daily life but they didn't lose their presence of mind these active knowing little ants when the catastrophe came there was work to be done at once and wisely first the saving of the children and so in the moment that passed between mary's overturning of the stone and our immediate shifting into a comfortable position on our stomachs heads and hands for watching half of the racing workers had each a little white parcel in its jaws and was speeding with it along the galleries toward the underground chambers ant eggs said mary no said i that's a popular delusion those little white things are not ants eggs but ants babies they are already hatched and partly grown-up young ants the larvae and pupae which are so well looked after by the nurse ants for these young ants are quite helpless like young bees in the brood cells in a honey-bee hive and they have to be fed chewed food and they have no legs and so can't walk they have to be carried from the cool dark nurseries up to the warmer lighter chambers for air and heat every day almost and then carried back down again see how gently the nurse aunt holds this baby in its jaws jaws that are sharp and strong and that can fight fiercely and hold on grimly in battle and i hand mary my little pocket-lens through which she tries to look with both eyes at once she could of course if she could keep her blessed eyes far enough away but as she persists in holding the glass at the tip of her nose as she has seen me do and as she cannot shut one eye and keep the other open as i can and have done now for so many years that i've wrinkles all around the shut-up eye why she makes bad work of it so she hands back the lens with a polite thank you and sticks to her own keen unaided eyes and sees more than i do for in the next breath she cries with a little note of triumph in her voice but some of the ant babies are walking see there and you said they had no legs i can see them little stumpy blackish legs sticking out from their soft white body and some of the ants are carrying these babies with legs i can see them i squirm around nearer mary true enough there are some little white chubby creatures walking slowly around in the narrow runways but i know they cannot be ant larvae for ant larvae have no legs and simply can't walk what are they i get out the little pocket limbs and the mystery is solved they are the ant cattle, the curious little mealy bugs that many kinds of ants bring into their nests and take care of for the sake of getting from them a constant supply of honeydew. This honeydew, which the mealy bugs make and give off from their bodies, is the sweetest syrupy fluid of which almost all ants, even those most fiercely carnivorous, are very fond and as the mealy bugs and plant lice that make the honeydew are quite defenceless, soft-bodied, mostly wingless, and rather sedentary insects the bright wooded ants establish colonies or herds of them in their nests or visit and protect colonies of them living on plants near the ants nest some kinds of ants even build earthen sheds or tents over groups of honeydew insects on plant stems the mealybugs are white because they cover their soft little bodies with delicate threads or flakes of glistening white wax which they make in their bodies and pour out through tiny openings in the skin We watch the busy excited ants until they have carried all their babies and cattle down into the underground nursery chambers out of harm's way then we put the stone carefully back in place and roll back again to where we can watch the wonderful mountains in the west the redwood fringed crest stands so sharply out against the skyline that we really can distinguish every tree that lifts its head above the crest although they are several miles away from us these great trees which are the giant's jagged spears are one hundred and fifty feet high some of them and as big around the base as one of the massive columns in the cologne cathedral finally i say rather lazily mary shall i tell you about the special way the clever little brown ant of the illinois cornfields takes care of its cattle yes please if it isn't too long says mary mary and i are on perfectly frank terms we are polite but we are also inclined to be honest and Mary's not going to be an unresisting victim of a garrulous old professor. But Mary need not be afraid that I shan't know when I am boring her. We have wireless communication, Mary and I. That's one, probably the principal reason why we are such good companions. No true companionship can possibly persist without wireless and wordless communication. All right, I answer. Here goes Mary. Say when. I forget how many millions of bushels of corn were raised in the state of Illinois last year. But there were very many and that means thousands and thousands of acres of cornfields now in all these cornfields there live certain little soft bodied insects called corn root aphids their food is the sap of the growing corn plants which they suck from the roots although each corn root aphid is only about one twentieth of an inch long and one twenty fifth of an inch wide and has a sucking beak microscopic in size yet there are so many millions of these little insects All with their microscopic little beaks stuck into the corn roots and all the time drinking drinking the sap which is the lifeblood of the corn plants that they do a great deal of injury to the cornfields of illinois and cause a great loss in money to the farmers so the wise men have studied the ways and the life of these little aphids to see if some way can be devised to keep them in check the aphids live only two or three weeks but each one before it dies gives birth to about twelve young aphids The aphids live only two or three weeks, but each one before it dies gives birth to about twelve young aphids. Now this is a very rapid rate of increase. If all the young which were born lived their allotted two or three weeks and produced in their turn twelve new aphids, we should soon have about ten trillion descendants in a year from a single mother aphid. Ten trillion corn-root aphids, tiny as they are, would make a strip or belt ten feet wide and two hundred and thirty miles long some of the other kinds of aphids multiply themselves even more rapidly an english naturalist has figured out that a single stem mother of the common aphids or green fly of the rose would give origin at its regular rate of multiplication and provided each individual born lived out its natural life which is only a few days at best to over thirty-three of rose aphids in a single season equal in weight to more than a billion and a half of men Of course, such a thing never happens because so many of the young aphids get eaten by ladybird beetles and flower-fly larvae and other enemies before they come to be old enough to produce young. However, besides this rapid increase of the corn-root aphids, there is something else that helps them to be so formidable a pest. And this is that they find very good and zealous friends in the millions of little brown ants that also live in the Illinois cornfields. These swift, strong, brave little ants make their runways and nests all through the cornfields, and are very devoted helpers of the soft-bodied helpless aphids for the aphids pay for this help by acting as cattle for the ants this is what professor forbes a very careful and very honest naturalist found out about the ants and the aphids the eggs of the aphids hosts of shining black round little seed-like eggs are laid late in the autumn these eggs are gathered by the ants and heaped up in piles in the galleries of the nests or sometimes in special chambers made by widening the runways here and there all through the winter these eggs are cared for by the ants being carried down into the deeper and warmer chambers in the coldest weather and brought up near the surface when it is warm when the sunny days of spring begin to come the eggs are even brought up above ground and scattered about in the sunshine then carried down again at night the little ants may be seen sometimes turn the eggs over and over carefully licking them as if to clean them of dust particles in the late spring the aphid eggs hatch and the young must have sap to drink right away their little beaks are thirsty for the plant juices that are their only food but there are no tender corn roots ready for them in the fields because the corn has not yet been planted what then shall the hungry baby aphids and their foster mothers the little brown ants do this is what happens although it is too early yet for the corn to be growing there are various kinds of weeds that begin to sprout with the coming on of spring and two of these especially the smartweed and the pigeon grass abundant and widespread in all the mississippi valley are sure to be growing in the fields while the aphids much prefer corn roots to live on they will get along very well on the roots of smartweed or pigeon grass so the clever brown ants put the almost helpless baby aphids on the tender roots of these weeds and there their tiny beaks begin to be satisfied don't you call that clever mary clever gracious said mary "'Do you know Professor Forbes? Is he really? Does he always tell the—' "'I interrupt. "'I am sensitive about such questions. "'I answer rather sharply, "'Yes, I do know him, and yes, he always tells the truth. "'Don't interrupt any more, please, for there is still more of the story.' "'Mary is silent. "'Well, the aphids stay on the smartweed roots until the corn is planted, "'which is in about ten days, "'and the kernels begin to germinate and to send down tender, juice-filled roots.' And then the little brown ants take the aphids, now getting larger and stronger, of course, but still too helpless or stupid to do much for themselves, except to suck sap, and carry them from the smartweed roots to the corn roots. What's that, Mary? But Mary has said nothing, just drawn her breath in with a little sound. Still, I think it's best to remind her that I do know Professor Forbes, and that he really does always tell the truth. In fact, I quote to Mary this honest professor's exact words about this transfer of the aphids from the weed roots to the corn roots. This is what he writes in his intensely interesting account of the whole life of these little creatures. In many cases in the field we have found the young root aphids on sprouting weeds, especially pigeon grass, which had been sought out by the ants before the leaves had shown above the ground. And similarly, when the field is planted corn, these ardent explorers will frequently discover the sprouting kernel in the earth, and mine along the starting stem, and place the plant aphids on it, and the little brown ants do all this so as to get honeydew from the aphids," asked Mary. "Exactly," I replied. "The ants take such good care of the aphids, not because they pity their helplessness or just want to be good, but because they know, by some instinct or reason, that these are the insects that, when they grow up, make honeydew, which is the kind of food that ants seem to like better than any other. Indeed, not only the little brown ants alone take care of corn root aphids to get honeydew." but at least six other kinds of ants that live in illinois cornfields do it but the little brown ants are the most abundant and seem to give the aphids the best care it's exactly like keeping cows isn't it says mary but they don't have to milk them well i reply i don't know what you would call it but some other ants that take care of some other kinds of honeydew insects seem to have to carry on a sort of milking performance to make them pour out their sweet liquid the ants have to pat or rub them with their hairy little feelers. Sort of tickle them to get them to squeeze out a little drop of honeydew. The truth is, Mary, if I should tell you the really amazing things that ants do, you simply wouldn't believe me at all. But the next time we go out, I'll take you to see for yourself an ant community right on the campus that does have some remarkable things. I'd much rather have you see the things yourself than tell you about them. I'd rather too, says Mary, which isn't exactly the nicest thing she could say but I know what she means. It's that seeing is better than being told by anybody. And then the up and down ding, dang, dong, ding of the clock bells begins its little song in four verses that mean the end of an hour. And then come the six slow, deep calls of the biggest bell that tell what hour it is. It's the hour for us to go home. End of chapter 9